you can create the best plan and try to have the best mindset and the best thoughts possible. But we're humans and we're dealing with complex, differently wired kids. We're going to mess up. We're going to not get it right. And so I want to encourage anyone that's listening to just strive for that progress just a little bit better and a little bit better each time you implement your plan. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and my guest today is Dana Abraham, founder of the popular blog Lemon Lime Adventures and author of The Super Kids Activity Guide to Conquering Every Day. As a former teacher and as a differently wired mom of a differently wired child, Dana is passionate about helping parents and educators recognize and celebrate the unique superpowers of -of out-of-the-box kids. Her latest venture is Calm the Chaos, a framework for parents to change their approach to behavior by understanding plus empowering the kids in their lives. In our conversation today, we discuss the importance of understanding how sensory processing affects us all, Dana's own journey of coming to terms with being a differently wired parent, and walk through a detailed real-life application of how her four-step approach can help parents go from chaos to calm. And now here is my conversation with Dana. Hello, Dana. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. I first was introduced to your work through Lemon Lime Adventures back when I started tilting. You were in this ecosystem, in this space, supporting parents of differently wired kids. And so I'm excited to learn more and to share more about your work with my audience. So to get started, give us a little bit of a personal introduction, who you are as a woman, as a, as a mom, as a family member, who are you? Yeah, absolutely. So that is a loaded question, right? Um, (laughs) So um, from a professional standpoint, I am the founder of Lemon Lime Adventures, like you said, a popular parenting blog, and also the founder of Calm the Chaos, which is a program where we help parents of -of out-of-the-box kids um, become experts in their own kids so they can teach their kids to be experts in themselves. But it hasn't always been that crystal clear. (laughs) Uh, So I um, started in this world, like you said, when you found me and I actually found you, I think I might have been one of your very first listeners, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, because I came across and you were still coming up with the manifesto and you were still coming up with the name and you just like popped up on my in my world. And I was like, "Ooh, what is this? Um, And Asher and my son are very similar ages. And so I was immediately drawn to you. And so I started my blog about six years ago. And before that, I was a national board certified teacher. I was in the classroom, had been there for 12 years. Um, And favorite kiddos were those kids that came with a long list of, you know, a paper trail and all the teachers knew them in the teacher's lounge. And you know the ones, right? Many of our kids here (laughs) are those kids where the teachers know them by name. And those were my favorite kiddos. And then I had my own son and he was, uh, you call him differently wired. I call him out of the box. You know, he just didn't really fit any of the things I had learned as a teacher, as a parent in all of my research myself. And 
uh, once he went to school, he really struggled. He was kicked out of preschool, um, kindergarten. He was in trouble a lot, um, super active, um, always getting calls from school, um, twice exceptional, but I didn't know that term at the time. But he tested gifted and then was really struggling in other areas. And so it was really baffling what was happening. And then by first grade and second grade, he was uh, suspended more days than he was in school. And so that's when I decided to stop teaching. I had decided to stop teaching already um, because I wanted to open my own school eventually, uh, project-based and directed towards uh, differently wired kids that learn differently and need that um, out-of-the-box teaching methods. Um, And that didn't happen because I ended up homeschooling him. And I like to say I homeschooled him against my will. Um, And in the process, I just documented the ups and downs of what I was learning and shared that on the blog. And that has kind of gotten us to where we are today. Wow. Our journeys are very similar. And I tell me how you described yourself as a homeschooler. Oh, I homeschooled against my will. Against your will. And I was just say it was a very reluctant homeschooler. So I totally feel that. I love too that you were teaching these kids and they were the ones you were drawn to. So I'm wondering just what was it like for you when you realized, oh, my child is one of these kids? I'm wondering about that realization. Yeah. So it, I mean, it became really evident when he was three years old even, and he was at preschool and he had something that I like to call peeled grape syndrome. Now, this is not a real thing. No one's going to diagnose your kid with peeled grape syndrome, (laughs) but the way I described it is he was like a peeled grape and he soaked in anything that was around him. So if you were to put a peeled grape in your coffee, then it would now be a coffee grape. If you were to put it in Coke, it would taste like Coke, right? So it would he would soak in the surroundings and then he would amplify whatever he had learned. And so one of the very first memories I have is him being at the playground and this little girl came up and pinched him. And because she, you know, wanted to like play with him and she was trying to, she just didn't have the words yet, you know, at three. And, and so he started calling that park pinch you park, you know, it's the place where the girl pinched you. And so he started pinching others when he wanted to tell them he wanted to play because he thought that's what it meant because that's what that little girl did. And he went to preschool. Same thing happened. A little girl at school kind of squeezed his arm really tight when he had the toy that she wanted. Very typical preschool behavior. Um, And he thought that's what you're supposed to do when you want someone else's toy. So he started doing it, but in an amplified way. When someone bit him, he then started biting everyone. Um, So does that make sense? Like that peeled grape? Mm -hmm. That was my first kind of aha moment of like, hmm, you're kind of not like all the other kids. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And then on the other side is by... You know, he had this crazy vocabulary. And since he was my first, I thought it was typical. And even though I had been in the classroom, I had been trained in gifted education, I taught gifted education, I still, for some reason, didn't place two and two together. I just thought, you know, him knowing 100 words by one was totally typical. Um, And him teaching himself to read and him being able to build elaborate Lego sets at three was totally normal. And it wasn't until he started going to school and being around other people and socially that it's the the age gap really started to make a big difference. His social gap, his emotional learning, 
all of that really started to show its head at like first grade, second grade, third grade. Um, and now that he's 14, I mean, it's it's still really evident that he is not your typically developing 14-year-old. Mm-hmm. I think these kids are so fascinating. Like Mm -hmm. they are some of my favorite people to hang out with, especially, you know, you know that I have a 15 year old and, you know, the differently wired teens that I spend time with, I just think are so cool because they're not typically developing, but they're just quirky in the best possible way. Yes. They see the world so differently. And I've come to realize now in hindsight, the reason it didn't strike me as odd when my child was just in my own house is that I myself am differently wired. And I grew up and my favorite people growing up, all my friends were the ones that didn't fit in and were misunderstood and and were brilliant, but also had these other things going on that just made them very complex individuals. Um, and again, they were my favorite people. I've always been drawn to... Um, you know, I kind of like to say like champion of misfits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I have always been drawn to the misfits. Well, tell us more then about your own wiring, I guess. You you said that you yourself are differently wired. I'd love to hear more about that and, yeah. you know, kind of your story, but then also how that relates to parenting a differently wired kid, because that is the reality for many in my community, differently wired parents raising differently wired kids. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I didn't know it at the time. Growing up, I just thought something was drastically wrong with me. I struggled with fitting into any sort of social situation. I mean, I had friends, but I didn't keep them very long. And um, do you remember that show, Freaks and Geeks? I think it was Mm -hmm. like a 90s or 2000 show. That, That was like... That's how I remember school, but I didn't even fit in with the freaks or the geeks. I was kind of like, which one do I fit in with? And I just never felt like I fit anywhere. I didn't feel like I fit with my family. I didn't feel like I fit at school. Um, I grew up as a dancer. I didn't feel like I fit with the dancers. Um, And so I thought that meant something was wrong with me or broken with me. And I'm going to give you, um, I'm going to share a secret that it's kind of embarrassing considering I'm now considered a parenting expert and I write books and I'm authoring another book, but um, I didn't read a book until I was in college. Now I still had a 4.5 grade point average in high school, but I never read a single book. I just listened to the conversations in the class and I thought that something was wrong with me and I thought that I was cheating the system, but I've come to find out that I just process information differently. I process information auditorily and through conversation and through feedback instead of reading. Even now I listen to audiobooks and I listen to them on 2x speed or I can't, I get distracted. Um, and so when I read, I have to have you know, none of us knew this, but like putting blinders so that I only read a small section at a time because um, I would get distracted too easily and I'd have to reread the same page four or five times over again. Um, I was never diagnosed with anything. I was always in all the gifted um, classes, but I definitely learned different than my peers and it always made me feel like I was broken somehow. So when did you own that? It's interesting. I just talked with a- another guest about growing up with a a panic disorder. And it wasn't until she was 25 that she actually got the language to Mm -hmm. explain what was happening with her. And that was such a relief to her. And I'm wondering, did you have a moment where you're like, oh, there's nothing wrong with me? This is actually the way that my brain works. Honestly, I think I'm still on that journey. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if I'm being 
totally honest. I, you know, the more that I learn about different functions of the brain and different wirings and the way we're all just wired so uniquely, um, you know, when I learned about executive functioning, it was such an aha moment. And I was like, wait a second, I struggle with this. Um, this is why I'm disorganized. This is why I forget things. This is why I have to create systems or I'll leave my laptop on the, the airplane. And I used to beat myself up over those things. And I now have created systems where I, if I'm at a live event and I meet someone new, I now just own up to it. I They'll say, hey, do you have a business card? And I say, nope, I don't because I'd lose them. And so instead, here's what I suggest we do. And I have a whole system I walk through now. And that just happened in the last six months. And I never owned up to the fact that I didn't read because I thought that meant that I wasn't smart enough. Um, as a parenting expert, I don't remember all of the names. If you were to ask me about a researcher or an author and ask me the theory behind it, I might not be able to tell you the specific name because I struggle to remember facts. But what I'm really good at is bridging the information. And so I can put it in an adult speak and in a in an everyday language talk because I grasp this concept and I do tons of learning on my own, but I just don't remember all of the like I said, the facts and the names and and all of those things. And so for a long time, I would say even in the until the last year, I really thought that meant that I was less than and that I wasn't meant to do bigger things because I couldn't remember these facts and details. And so I think, you know, earlier you asked, like, how does that affect me as a parent? And I think it's just made me see the world a different way. I mean, naturally, I see the world differently, um, just like a lot of our kids do. And I think I can empathize and I think I can really see them for who they are and say, okay, how can I go about this a different way? Because I had such a volatile relationship with my mom growing up and I don't want to repeat that with my kids. And if I can keep one mom and daughter or one mom and son from having that volatile relationship, then my job is done. Hmm. Yeah. As you were talking, I was thinking too how... You know, I often talk about the gifts that come with raising these kids that they can be, of course, you know, it's a saying that our kids are our best teachers and, and that is so true. But I think for differently wired kids, they force us to do so much deep work on ourselves if we want to really see who they are and support them. And part of that is really examining our own lives, our own brains, our, our childhoods, um, and, and what was hard for us. And I think it really is such a wonderful personal growth spurt that we can get kicked on because of who our kids are. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I totally agree with that. I always would tell teachers, I'm like, he is, he is amazing, but he is going to poke holes in your system. <laughs> He's going to yeah. find all the places um, that you think you have an amazing system already set up. And so if you're open to that, if you're open for making this the best year for you to learn about yourself and your teaching strategies, um, then you guys are going to get along great. But if you see it as a power of wills or a power struggle, then neither one of you are going to end up winning in this situation. <laughs> oh, that's so true. So true. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about sensory issues, because I know this has been a big focus of your work. Can you talk about, you know, I, I, you talked about that grape analogy, which I think is perfect. And I think so many of dif these differently wired kids struggle with sensory issues. How, how did that even as a concept come on your radar? 
Yeah. So that came on my radar when my son was about five years old. So he was in kindergarten and he was starting to have more of his struggles in school. And I was teaching a blended preschool classroom. So for those that aren't familiar, that is a classroom that has um, children with a individualized education plan. Um, So they have a developmental delay in two or three more areas. But then you also have children who are deemed, quote unquote, typically developing. And I was the, um, I hate using these terms, but I was the, the regular education teacher. And then we had a special education teacher that we paired with and we were co-teachers. Now, we had a unique situation and we got to teach truly in a co-teaching fashion. So I was the teacher for um, the differently wired kids and she was the teacher for uh, the quote-unquote typically developing kids as well. So it was our full classroom. And we had this one student who came in and his mom handed me a book, a blanket, and a vest. And she said, All right. So my son has sensory processing disorder. And when he starts to have a really hard time, I need you to wrap him in this blanket and put this vest on him. It's got weights in it. And then I need you to read this book so you understand what I'm talking about. You don't think I'm crazy. I thought she was crazy. (laughs) Um, And so because I'd never heard about this. I was a teacher and I had only been taught about the five senses and definitely not taught about how our senses play a role in our learning. Obviously, I'd been taught about modalities of learning and all of those sorts of things, but I had not been taught about how much this aspect of our body and our brain plays a role in our everyday lives. So I started reading the book over the summer and throughout that year, and I was floored. Every book, it was Out of, this, out of Sync Child um, was the first book that I read. And I was like, this is my child this is my child. (laughs) Like this, everything about this describes my child. Um, The constant touching, the putting things in his mouth, the, you know, climbing everything, the impulse control struggles, the screaming over socks and the screaming over tags in his clothes and the needing a rigid schedule. And um, just, I mean, their name, a check mark that was inside that book. And he finally started hitting check marks in a book, whereas (laughs) before he never did. And so I was like, wait a second, this just explains so much. So I started learning more and more about it. And I started realizing just how much it plays a role in all of our lives and how much it changes who we are as a parent, who we are as a, a teacher, a friend, a spouse, when we understand the other person's sensory needs and our own sensory needs. Because what I learned is it's not reserved just for kids with a disorder. It is all human beings having a sensory need. We all have our likes and dislikes. And I liken it to the fact that I am someone who absolutely used to love roller coasters. And you know, I was known at five to go on the one that flipped upside down multiple times and um, and no one else on my family would go. Now, my husband, on the other hand, he screamed bloody murder when they put him in one of those like merry-go-round cars at the carnival that go around really slow. He was like, get me out of this thing at five. Two totally different reactions to movement. And that is such a good explanation or it's just a good depiction of the vestibular system, that sense of movement and how our body responds or reacts to that movement. 
I wanted that movement. It made me feel good. I liked it. Whereas my husband, he didn't want any part of it. And even now he has to drive. He has to sit in the driver's seat because he gets really car sick if he's not in the driver's seat um, because of that vestibular need. So um, it just, it tells us so much about our kids, about ourselves and the people around us. There's so much more to maintaining a healthy gut microbiome than eating a balanced and healthy diet, travel, certain medications, and of course, something many of us have plenty of in our daily life, stress, are just some of the other factors that can totally throw off our systems. Enter Ritual. They created Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Their supplement includes two of the world's most clinically studied probiotic strains to support the relief of mild and occasional bloating, gas, and diarrhea. I like Symbiotic Plus because it delivers all this goodness in one single nested minty delayed released capsule designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract. And because the capsules don't require refrigeration, I just keep them on my desk so that I get that helpful visual cue every morning. Plus, they're easy to bring with me when I travel. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. We just celebrated our two-year anniversary of Gotcha Day when we adopted our sweet Haskell, my cat who acts like a dog, plays fetch, and who I'm pretty sure has sensory processing differences. Are you getting a new pet soon? That means you'll need to think about getting the necessities like food, toys, a bed. Something you may not be thinking about, though, is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. Yeah, I had a very similar aha moment and it was also the out of sync child. That's probably like where everyone starts. And Mm -hmm. also it was the very first thing, you know, other than knowing that, you know, Asher was intellectually, you know, doing things his peers weren't, but we didn't really know what else was going on. And I read that book and I was like, oh my gosh, this answers so many things. And it felt mysterious to me. I was like, what is proprioception? Like, that's fascinating <laughs> to me. And, and and as an adult, I think you're absolutely right. Like, I recognize so many sensory issues that I have that I 
would never have given any attention to or honored, right? My real um, struggle with being in loud environments, you know, I now give myself permission to say, you know what, I can't be in this place another second, or I'm going to lose my mind. And Mm -hmm. just honoring that, you know, because I recognize that that's a real thing. That's not me being dramatic or whatever. And I also find this piece of emotional regulation fascinating. I think when our kids are little, we're addressing like you said, the tags um, on their clothes and or the need to move or the the regulating movement that they do. But what I am still shocked by or when I realize that emotional regulation is totally connected to sensory processing as well. It's not just the physical piece. There's so many things um, that are connected to the sensory stuff. Yes. So there's one sense that most people, even in the sensory world, don't always talk about, and that's the interoceptive sense, which it's basically your recognition of internal cues. And so if you're struggling to recognize uh, when you're getting hot and bothered, when your heart is racing, when your palms are sweating, if you don't recognize those internal cues, then your emotional regulation is going to um, be a little delayed. You might struggle with with that, like, you know, just seemingly going from zero to a hundred in a matter of seconds. Right. Um, and I like to describe that kind of as already revving at like a five or a seven. So children who are incredibly sensitive to noises, to touch, to, uh, to movement, all those things, it's not like one sense will send them over the edge or one interaction will send them over the edge, but it's the addition of, you know, first having to change plans when they thought something was going to happen. And then next, um, they have a tag that just keeps scratching them on the back of their neck. And then they their shoes don't fit just right. And then they can't sit still for homework. And so they're struggling to focus. And then, you know, the clock is ticking and that's all they can hear. And all of that's compounding And it's happening on the inside. And on the outside, you suddenly get this outburst or this blow up and explosion. And it seems as though it came from nowhere. So you're you're absolutely right. I just have this side question I just have to ask. You were talking earlier about the weighted vests. And that was something back when Asher was in first grade and and I have a friend who is an educator and she would tell me about these little kids with their weighted vests and how that would really help them. And I was like, what is that? Like, again, such new information. And at that point, we did get a weighted blanket. And I was like, that's pretty cool. This is very calming. And, you know, flash forward 10 years or whatever, and everyone has a weighted blanket. They're like the most popular Christmas gift or something this year. I'm wondering if you have thoughts about that, because I find it interesting that when I see things that are have been designed to support differently wired kids, or maybe, you know, just these kind of things that were almost seen as really unusual, or um, just not understood, then they go mainstream. Do you have any thoughts about that? Um, So I totally understand what you're talking about. And I've seen this happen a lot when, you know, like fidget spinners, that's mm-hmm. a really good example as well, just like the weighted blankets, when fidget spinners came out, and, you know, everyone wanted to use them. Yeah. This is like one of the top questions that I would get from people, from teachers, especially is, well, what do I do for the kids that don't actually need it? I only have one or two that really need it, and then everybody wants it. And my answer has always been, what if we don't know that the other children need it? So for me, 
I never knew that I had sensory needs growing up. And I probably never would have gotten some sort of diagnosis because I wouldn't have hit that threshold of it debilitating my life. But it definitely affected me. My daughter will probably never get a sensory processing diagnosis. But I know that when she's in loud places for a long time, she gets really overwhelmed. And she knows to ask for her her noise-reducing earmuffs. Mm -hmm. We have a fidget drawer in our whole house that everyone in our house can use because we make it accessible for everyone because we never know what someone is dealing with on the inside. And I'd rather them be able to explore it and be able to try it and be able to see, is this something that might work for me? Is this something that might help me? Instead of feeling like it has to be so bad before they can use a support. Mm -hmm. It's a great answer. I love that. So, okay, I'm going to switch gears because I want to hear more about your new venture, which is called Calm the Chaos. Can you just tell us all about it. Tell us what it is and and who you're reaching with that and what you hope to do through it. Absolutely. So Calm the Chaos came out of these peaks and valleys that I was going through in my life with my son. Um, And, you know, I pulled him out of the school and I had one goal and well, two goals, actually. I wanted him to not hate himself for being in a world that didn't understand him. And I didn't want him to hate the world for not understanding who he was. And I felt like if I could just do those two things, then he could do anything he wanted in life, no matter what skills he had, no matter what. And so we went on this journey and I poured myself back into research and why we do what we do, what's behind all of the different behaviors, what's behind uh, the meltdowns and the tantrums, and what's behind the not listening and the not being able to sit still, and what's behind the kids that are super incredibly cognitively smart, but then struggle emotionally. And I found that it wasn't just about understanding him, I also had to connect with him. And so it really came down to, you know, building up good communication skills and making sure he felt like he belonged and that I could empathize with him, even if I didn't truly understand where it was coming from. And then that final piece, um, as this was kind of unfolding and building through tons of trial and error, um, was this empowerment piece of if I don't put this in his hands, if I don't teach him to recognize his own sensory needs, if I don't teach him to recognize his own fight, flight, or freeze, if I don't teach him to to be confident in who he is in his struggles and superpowers that I'm kind of doing him a disservice because he's going to have to go out in this world and be able to advocate for himself in a world that doesn't understand him. And so for a long time, that was the framework is it was connect, understand, empower. And I realized that we were missing a huge piece. And we talked about this a little bit at the beginning that raising an out-of-the-box kid or differently wired kid, you have to do a lot of inner work. And the world out there, we're going to change that (laughs) with this mission, right, of differently wired and uh, tilt parenting and calm the chaos. But there's, there's a lot of the world right now that doesn't see our kids as amazing and as super kids. They see them as wild and strong-willed and bratty and stubborn and lazy and picky and all these things that aren't labels that I want my child to have to walk around this world with. And 
that can start to weigh on you as a parent. And you start to wonder if all the old ways, all the generational parenting things that have been going on for years really are what we should be doing. And maybe we've messed up. And so we added in this piece of focusing on yourself and really getting clear on what your thought patterns are around your child, around yourself, around the possibility of things getting better in your life and creating anchors for yourself so that on your absolute hardest days, you can have something to fall back on. And have you ever um, watched the TED Talk uh, by Simon Sinek of Start With Your Why? Yes, yes. Yes, I figured you had. So this was one of the first TED Talks that I watched when I started my blog. One of my friends sent it to me. He said, I'm not going to let you start something without doing this. And at the time, my why was, I don't want another parent to feel as alone as I do. And I don't want another kid to have to go through what my kid's going through. And that's where it started. And it meandered and got a little hairy for a little while. And it's come back to that same core thing, though. And it's something that is at the core of what we teach. Because as parents, and especially parents of differently wired kids, we lose who we are. And we lose our direction. And we lose where we want to go. And if we don't have that why driven down inside of us, then it's really hard for us to keep pushing when the school calls or when you get another diagnosis or when your child doesn't get invited to the parties. And as they go through new stages of development, if you don't have that why solid and in place, none of the other stuff really matters. And so that's kind of where this all came from is there's so much amazing research over the last 50 years in child development, in Uh, neuroscience, in communication, in achievement, in growth mindset, all these things. But it can be really hard for a parent who's walking this journey to figure out how to piece it together. And it can feel like you've got all the right information and you're listening to all the right things and you're, you're reading all the right books and you're taking all the right courses, but it can feel like, how do I now implement this in my life and make all the puzzle pieces fit together? And that's what Calm the Chaos does, is it's a step-by-step framework, kind of like a Tupperware system for all the research and knowledge that is best practices for raising an out-of-the-box kid, but put into a nice systematic way. It's so great. It's so in alignment with Tilt, which is why I think we connect so well. And I love that idea of just encouraging parents to start with their why. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered. 
the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com club. That's tiltparenting.com club. I hope to see you on the inside. Hey, are you a parent of a teenager? Are you feeling overwhelmed about how to be what they need while also holding limits and boundaries that keep them safe? Are you tired of conversations that negate how messy this season of parenting is? Well, I've got you. My name is Casey O'Rourke. I am a positive discipline trainer, parent coach, and the host of the Joyful Courage podcast. Every week I come to you with an interview, digging into tough topics with experts I trust and solo shows that go deep into the personal growth and mindset needed to raise teens in a way that grows them into confident, capable young people. I am not afraid of getting real about the intersection of conscious parenting and the teen years, while also bringing in vulnerability, humor, and lightness. I'm walking the path with you and honored to serve. Listen to Joyful Courage on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You know, I the, even just the idea of calming chaos, I think is so appealing, because I think that's what so many of us just feel like our life is daily is chaotic. What is one kind of strategy or like for a parent who's listening to this and needs a little burst of something to help them get through today to to feel a little calmer? Can you share with us one strategy or or tip? Um, that's actually something that's unique about Calm the Chaos is we don't believe in tips and tricks because we believe that there are thousands and hundreds of thousands of tips and tricks out there. And, uh, you know, you Google uh, calm down tools and you'll probably get a thousand back from Google. Um, or if you Google remaining calm, you'll get a, a thousand different ideas. Um, and so what I'd like to do, if it's okay with you, is share how to apply the four-part framework, because I do believe it comes down to those four pieces that I just talked about, mm-hmm. um, to a situation. So we can talk about remaining calm when your child is melting down. Would you like to do something like that? Let's do it. Yeah. How about in, in public? In public. Ooh, I can do that too. You're, <laughs> you're putting me to the test here. All right. So first caveat that I want to share when applying this is that when you're applying an in the moment strategy, it's never going to work as well as working on this ahead of time. And so I'm going to share what you can do in the moment, but then you're going to want to follow up and make sure that out of the moment, you're using this same framework to kind of tweak the plan that you come up with. So let's say you're at Target. Definitely had this. Um, I've actually had uh, police called on me at Target because my son was having such a big meltdown in the parking lot and I couldn't let him run off because I thought he was going to get hit by cars. So I'm holding him in the parking lot and he's thrashing his head against my head. Mm. 
This was several years ago at our peak and at our worst. And so in that moment, I would apply our framework. And just to remind you, the framework is you connect, understand, empower. And if you can picture it, I know we're on a podcast, but if you can picture just a classic three-part Venn diagram with connect, understand, empower, and you in the center, because you are the linchpin for all of it. So if we're applying that, we have to start with you. And so in that moment, when your child starts to melt down, when you're holding them in the parking lot, you have to ground yourself and center yourself. And we like to do something that's just stop, breathe, and anchor. And so you would just stop yourself for like two seconds and take a big deep breath in and a big deep breath out. And then you would anchor yourself. And we like to anchor ourselves to a positive memory with our kid. We like to anchor ourselves with um, maybe the moment your child was born, if that's a positive moment for you, or maybe a positive interaction you've had recently with your child. And in public, it's going to be really important that you do something that we call swapping a thought monster. You're going to have all these thoughts come through your head. They're staring at me. I'm a terrible parent. They're judging me. They think that I shouldn't let him do this. They think I'm letting him walk all over me. Those thoughts are going to take over if you allow it. And so very first thing is stop, breathe, and I got this. Stop, breathe, and say, he's not giving me a hard time. He's having a hard time, right? So whatever helps you remember that this isn't an attack on you. And it doesn't matter what everybody else is thinking right now. So then once you've grounded yourself, you can move to connection. And so walking away from your son is probably going to make things worse, right? And so in that moment, what can you do safely to connect with your child? And the simplest way is just to get closer. So a lot of times I'll be in Target, I'll see parents struggling with their kid and they'll say, stop that. Don't do that. Or if you don't stop, we're not going to go here. So instead, just quiet your voice and get closer to them. And if they're on the ground, get down beside them as long as they're being safe. Even if they are being safe, you still have to, in a public place, be able to secure them and get them safe as well. So get down on their level and The third piece would be understand. So what can you do to understand the situation better? It's not about solving the problem right now because your child cannot think logically if they are on the ground at Target. And so instead, it's just letting them know that you see that they are upset, that they do not like what's happening, and trying to get as much information that you can. So it might sound like this. Hey, buddy, I know it's hard when we don't get the toy we want. I'm not sure if that's what you're upset about, but it seems like it. Can you help me understand? And if they are verbal, if they are able to speak in that moment, they might tell you. Otherwise, you might have to just keep staying there and say, I'm there. I'm here till you're ready. I'm here till you're ready and not try to solve the problem in the moment. And then the empower piece would be giving them ownership. And so let's say it was over a toy that they wanted and they didn't get the toy they wanted. They really were hoping they were going to get to take the toy and you don't have the money, you made the decision ahead of time. So once they've come to a calm place, you can talk to them and you can say, okay, I know you really want a toy. We can't take it home today. Can you think of something else that would, you know, help us remember this toy so we don't forget it and we could come back another time when we can get it? And a lot of times your kids might say something like, can we take a picture of it? Or you could offer that suggestion. 
Um, can we, you know, put it on hold or can we make a plan to come back later when things are calmer or can I work for it? And again, this is if your child is already in that place to start problem solving, but they just might not be at that point. So your goal is to get a plan to get out of the public place. And so once you're then home, everybody's calm, everyone's reconnected, you can say, man, at the store earlier today, that was really hard. And I could see that you were really struggling. Do you have any ideas of how we could go back to the store again and have a better outcome? Can you tell me what was, what was on your mind? Can you tell me what you were frustrated with? And just listen to them and start trying to solve that problem with them. That's awesome. I love that example. And it's so practical and doable. It it actually feels doable because I think, again, we can all relate to this scenario. And I really love even just that starting with you, that language, that switching out the thought monster. Yes. Swapping the thought monster. Swapping the thought monster. I love that because I think that is the moment where things are going to go in one way or the other. And it's it's a tough moment for us, but really prioritizing and having a plan ahead of time for how you're going to handle it when it happens in public is great. Absolutely. And I think there's this idea that, okay, I made a plan and it didn't work. And then we throw that plan out. And so I would want to encourage everyone that's listening, when you first start using this system, we've had thousands of students go through our program and use this system on a day-to-day basis. But I see this happen all the time is they'll use the framework and it doesn't work. And they're like, well, I guess that didn't work. So what's the point? And I'm like, oh, well, you just have to go back and tweak it. It's like getting braces. So when you go in, you take your kid in to get braces. Ask me how I know. Um, And so um, you take your kid in to get braces and they put the braces on. It's not magically fixed, right? You're going to have to go back in and they're going to have to tighten those braces every couple of weeks or every couple of months. So it's the same with your plan. You can create the best plan and try to have the best mindset and the best thoughts possible. But we're humans and we're dealing with complex, differently wired kids, we're going to mess up. We're going to not get it right. And so I want to encourage anyone that's listening to just strive for that progress, just a little bit better and a little bit better each time you implement your plan. It's such a great reminder. Yeah, that is, I think we all want things fixed right away. And I'm always saying that this, we are playing the long game here, people. Yes, we are. But, um, and I love that little tweak analogy as well with the braces. So, all right. So, so much great information. Thank you so much for walking us through that. And tell us how listeners can learn more about your program and about Lemon Lime Adventures and connect with you. Where's the, the best place for people to go? Yeah. So the best place to go for Calm the Chaos is calmthechaosworkshop.com. And we have a workshop twice a year that we run where we walk you through the whole framework and we do a bunch of live coaching calls and we just have a whole lot of fun because parenting should be fun. And that's coming up really soon. And then the other thing is I actually have a quiz that I would love for anyone who's here to go and check out. It's behaviorquiz.com. And so that is where you can go and find out what behavior type is your child's dominant type. So it's going to help you create a plan that works for your unique child and your unique background. Very cool. Oh, I can't wait to check that out. All right. Well, Dana, I'm going to let you go. And I so appreciated everything that you shared and and hearing your story and your 
just generosity to our community of parents. So thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me on. It's been absolutely amazing. So like I said, I think I was one of your first listeners. So this is a <laughs> huge like full circle moment for myself. Even. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, where you can download the transcript, find links to Dana's programs and more, visit tiltparenting.com slash session 196. If you get a lot out of Tilt Parenting and would like to make a small monthly contribution to help cover the production costs associated with this show, it's really easy to do. Just go to patreon.com slash tiltparenting to sign up can pledge 10, 5, or even just $2 a month. Again, that's patreon.com slash tilt parenting. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating or a review for tilt parenting on iTunes if you haven't done so already. Ratings and reviews help keep this podcast visible in an ever growing sea of podcasts. Thank you so much for considering. And that's all for this week. For more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.tiltparenting.com. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact invented. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking